That song is a song that is about life transformation. And isn't that what the people who are in our lives need more of? And what I mean by that is more of Christ in us and less of us. Amen? The transformation that God brings in our life. I want to just encourage you to go ahead and be seated, if you will, at this point. There's power in the name of Jesus. He's saying that, Jesus, this is what I want, more of you, less of me. I want to be like you. One of the very first things we sang in that song was this. We said that he is the Holy One of God, yes, but but there's also this name that he had that we sang. It's this, the friend of sinners. Let me ask you this. Aren't you so thankful, along with me, that Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners? Amen? Because I'm a sinner. And I need His grace in my life. I need His covering in my life. And when you look into the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus was the kind of of God. He was the kind of God, and He still is today, who boldly took risks on people. And He came alongside people who were the outcasts, who were the down and out. And this friend of sinner's name was actually an insult that religious people gave him. As angry as he could become at the religious hypocrites you know he also must have smiled when they called him friend of sinners because it it must have just been very evident as he would say yes that is exactly who I am that is exactly why I came because it is the sick who need a doctor and not the healthy he would come alongside people I think about the woman caught in adultery and the scripture tells us in the the gospel of John that that while everyone else was ready to throw rocks at her as she had been caught in this immorality Jesus comes alongside her he says who among you is without sin go ahead you cast the first stone and you know the story they walked away Jesus spoke truth into her life he said where are those who condemn you neither do I condemn you and then he said go and sin no more I think about him encountering a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she went at a particular time of day because she was the outcast among all the other women. She had a reputation. She'd been in multiple relationships and had been used over and over again by men. And that day, Jesus spoke truth into her life, and he spoke love into her life, and, and, and then he began to pour living water into her life. Think about Jesus taking the bold risk. What would others say about him talking to a woman like that? Then he would call fishermen that were uneducated, that were ordinary, that were argumentative, that were prideful, that would fight with each other, and he would entrust the gospel to them. He took risks, bold risks. As he came alongside people, he would go have dinner with sinners like Zacchaeus, He would call tax collectors to be his disciples. Jesus took bold risks. And we've been in this series talking about boldness and what that looks like. And last week, Pastor Randy brought us the word in in Acts where, where a man named Saul, who was the chief persecutor of the church, Jesus boldly stepped out and called Saul into relationship with him. He was a friend of sinners, and he still is today. I want us to look for a moment in Acts chapter 9. And I want us to look in this passage and see the integration of Saul into the very body of Christ that at one time he was persecuting. And I want you to see the life transformation that begins to happen and the transformation that happens 
in the life of the church. It says this in verse 21, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. By the way, that's where he was headed to persecute those very same believers. Now he's staying with them. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. He had an encounter with the friend of sinners. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? And Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. And they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Look at verse 26. So Saul has made his way out of Damascus. He is on his way to Jerusalem. And when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. But they were all, what does it say, church? They were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them. Read the next part with me. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Jesus came alongside people and took risks. I'm so thankful that he took a risk on me and that he forgave me. He loved and he forgave others and people that others would write off. And we see a man named Barnabas do that. And we were singing, Lord, make me more like you. More of me or more of you and less of me, God. Make me more like Christ. What you're in essence saying as well as look at the character of Jesus, you're saying, make me more like that, God. I want to love people the way that you do. I want to be willing to boldly take risks on people where maybe others wouldn't because, God, you are the life-changing God. You transform people. It's not my words. It's not what I can do. It's you. Would you make me more like that? Take risks like you. Can we just bow in prayer before him right now and just invite that into our lives and say, Lord, make me more like you. More of you, less, and and, and just less of me, God. It's what people that are in my life right now need. It's what people that you're going to put in my life in the future are going to need. They're going to need more of you. So, Lord, I'm asking for just death to self and being alive to Christ give us eyes to see people Lord to boldly risk just as you're still seated would you just continue to make this song your prayer just sing it out to God make me more like you Lord amen aren't you so glad that God boldly loved us amen that God stepped out and he loved us in his boldness 
and they loved us in that kind of way, and there are risks involved whenever you love people. There's risk involved in life. You know, wouldn't you agree with this, that life really is composed of series of risks? I mean, that's really what life is about, is there's risk all the time in all kinds of different ways. And, and it starts very on, early on in life, you know, that, that point where you're trying to decide and assess whether or not you're going to step out and do something for the first time or, or maybe step out in a certain kind of way. Life is composed of a series of risks. It starts, you know, whenever a, a toddler for the first time or a baby decides to take that step, am I going to fall down, you know? And there's, they're kind of checking it out. Do I let go of mom's hand or do I let go? They take risk. There's risk whenever parents, for the very first time, entrust the keys into the hands of the children. Amen, right? There are risks there. Okay, last summer I was responsible, and I kind of went through this process with my son Luke. As I was teaching, I was responsible for teaching Luke how to drive, and I want you to know that there were multiple risks that were involved in that, and I experienced that on, on, an, on that occasion, and, and I, I told Luke as we would go through the process, and we would kind of be finished with, with driving for the day, and I would come in, and I would literally be shaking from some of the risks, you know, that were involved in that. Some of you have done this. You know what I'm talking about. It's scary, okay? As you're, as you're not in control of the wheel, and you're doing this, and you're trying to teach them how to drive, and I remember even some of the things that came out of my mouth, I'm just going to confess to you, church, I'm not proud of those things, okay? And I told Luke, if I am yelling at you, I want you to know that this is not out of anger, Luke. This is out of sheer terror at that moment. I don't know what to do at that moment. And, and you know, and so things, God exposed some things that were in the deepest, darkest places of my heart that I am ashamed that came out of my mouth. And, and afterwards, there oftentimes would have to be many moments of confession and repentance, okay? I just have to confess that to you as one of your pastors that, you know, the scripture tells us that the words that come out of our mouth is what is in our hearts. And there were some things deep down in that heart that needed to come out. Okay. And God began to work in that. But life is, is a series of risks. If you're going to enter into a marriage relationship, there are risks that are involved there. And all the married people said, amen, all right, but not too loud because there's a risk with that, right, okay? I mean, you got to be careful because life is composed of all of these risks. And, and whenever risks are involved, all right, here's the deal is that it, 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 when we're going to make a decision about something and there's risk involved, there are things that we bring into that, Okay, one of the things that we bring into that kind of scenario whenever you're going to be making a decision is we bring our personality. We are all made up and we're wired up in different kinds of ways. Some of you are natural risk takers. Would the risk takers raise their hand this morning? Are you a natural risk taker? Do we have some of you? Okay, you kind of live on the edge. You're a risk taker. Um, are there those of you that say, I'm not as much a risk taker. I, li- I live a little more on the conservative side, Bard. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Okay, all right, I see a number of you. Have you, have you noticed this, that God in his great sense of humor oftentimes pairs those people up into marriages? It's very funny sometimes, all right? And that's kind of how my marriage is. I'm, I'm a little more of a risk taker. I, I thrive on change. I kind of like that. My wife is not about that. She doesn't like change. She likes routine. She likes things kind of being on their place in certain kind of uh, way. And I look at it this way, that I provide the thrills for my wife, Hope, and she keeps me out of jail. Okay, that's what happens. We work together. So you've got your personality that we do bring into our decision-making process. What we also bring into that process is we all have a past. 
We all have things that we're bringing into a decision where we have things we're dealing with and, and you know, and, and what do my past experiences tell me? Uh, I've been down this road before. I know what this is like. And so we bring our past, and a lot of times that's baggage that we bring along with us into those kinds of decisions and when we're going to make uh, take a risk. Another thing that, that influences our decision-making is people, people that are in our lives. And sometimes that's a positive thing where they might you know, say, have you thought about this or whatever? And sometimes that could be a negative thing that we bring into it where they influence us in a negative kind of way. Now, here's another thing when it comes to risk. And there is this, that when we're going to make a decision to risk or not, there is, is there possible pain involved in how much of it? Right? Is there, and this is what we would call risk reward. In other words, we would ask this question. It would, it, we may take this risk. Is it going to be worth it? Is it worth some of the pain that may come along in the midst? It doesn't mean there won't be pain, but you have to determine will there be reward that comes along with the pain that we're, that we're having. And, and i got to tell you that there is nothing more risk-reward involved when it comes to taking risks than this right here, and it comes to decisions than whenever it concerns relationships that are in our life. There is nothing more risk-reward involved than that right there, whether it's entering into new relationships or maybe potentially breaking off destructive relationships. There's risk with that. Maybe choosing to forgive, there's risk attached to that. And maybe even possibly restoring broken relationships. There are risks that are attached to all of that. All right, so here's where I'm going today in our series, all right, is, is we're talking about bold and seldom are the stakes higher in this risk-reward than whenever it involves relationships, the relationships in our life. And think about all those things we just said, personality revolving risk, people in, a, in our life, our past, possible pain. Here is a key thought, okay, and this is something for you to take out of here today. You already know this, but it's something for us to think about is this, it is risky to love people. If you're going to love folks, if you're going to love your spouse, if you're going to love your kids, if you're going to love other people that God puts in your life, do you know what that involves? It involves a lot of risk. It involves risk, okay? And, and, and it takes boldness to really love people. It takes boldness to have those kinds of risk. Why does it take boldness? Why is it risky to love people? You know the answer to this question, and here is the bottom line, is because people will hurt you right? People have hurt you. There's not a person who has walked in here today in all three services that has not been burned at some point in our lives by somebody. And and here's the bottom line. Even going forward, we're still going to get burned from time to time. We may be a little, a little wiser in the way we approach things, and maybe we kind of know a little bit more now or whatever, but the reality is, is we've just got to understand in this world, in this brokenness of this world, people are people and people are messed up, and oftentimes we say dumb things and they say dumb things, and there's always going to be pain in the midst of relationships. The other thing we could do is just completely isolate and never, ever choose to risk in relationships ever again. And that is what a lot of people end up doing, all right? And, 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 and this exact circumstance of a Christ follower that Bar, who was named Barnabas, he found himself in Acts chapter 9 
at a moment and at a place of, of, of deciding whether or not he was going to take a risk on a relationship that no one else around him in Jerusalem was willing to take. Where everyone else had withdrawn from Saul. We read in the passage where it said that when Saul came to Jerusalem, it said that nobody was willing to welcome him in. They didn't want to welcome him in. And, and, and we find that Barnabas was, was one who was willing to take a risk. Why didn't they want to welcome him in? He was the chief persecutor of the church. He was the one who was responsible for even holding the coats of those who put to death the, their very dear friend, Stephen, as we've read about. And he put to death, he was, he was in, really involved in, in hurting people in the, in the church in Jerusalem there. And, and there are no, there's no doubt that Barnabas had some obstacles to overcome in actually taking a risk on Saul. But he takes a risk on Saul, and really, I would tell you, it's a risk that, that, that transformed all of Christendom because of the risk that he took. As he stepped up and he stepped in for, for a sinner like Saul, as we study this story for a few moments today, and we look at it and think about it in the context of our own life, what I've been praying this week is that God would deal with each of us and speak with e- to each of us individually, and, and perhaps God would give us the name of a person that we need to be a Barnabas to. Perhaps God would, would speak into our life about being more like Christ in that manner and, and coming alongside those that maybe others have written off. God may even nudge you into a step of faith that could change the course of another person's life. He may nudge you in a direction that could not only change their life, but maybe in changing their life, changes their family. Maybe it changes their marriage. Maybe it changes their relationship with others in the context of a church. Maybe it changes a community. Maybe it impacts, uh, has this impact for all eternity because you decided that you would take a risk. As we study this, we just ask God to speak to us. It says in verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, I wonder what, what he was wanting to say. I mean, if I'd been involved in that, and, and as you look at Saul's life and the words that he has written in about two-thirds of the New Testament, you know that there was deep remorse in Saul's, in Saul's heart for what he had done. He becomes the Apostle Paul. You know that. And there was remorse, and he called himself, even at the very end of his life, the chiefest of all sinners. He said, if, if, I, if I can be forgiven in this manner, you know, then, then others. And so I imagine he wanted to meet because he most likely wanted to say, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to tell you I'm sorry that I did what I did to your families. Don't you know that? I'm sorry. But it says they weren't willing to take this risk on him. And, and I have to tell you, it says they did not believe that he had truly become a believer. And, and, you know, he was their greatest enemy at one point. And I just have to be honest with you, okay? Let's cut through the chase. You know, let's cut through the bull here. Here's the thing. I'm just being honest. I don't know if I would have been any different from those other believers. If someone had hurt my family, if someone had murdered one of my own in our church in front of my very eyes, if if had been responsible for, for doing some of the horrible things, I don't know. If I could have, I don't know if I would have been any different is what I'm trying to say. And many of you could probably say that you don't blame them either for being, you know, concerned about this and maybe not wanting to meet. I I don't know if there were roots of bitterness that had developed in some of their hearts for Saul. I don't know that. 
but I can't imagine that there wouldn't be. Because I started thinking about myself. I started thinking about how I would feel. I started thinking about what might be involved in that. Maybe they wanted even to believe that he had changed, but it sounded too good to be true, you know. Maybe they started wondering, is this really a setup, and he's really not changed, and they didn't want to take this chance that this rumored conversion was really just that, a rumor. And so they didn't want to meet with him. We're done with you. We're out. I think if I'd been in their place, I don't know. I might have done the same thing. Why is that? Because there are certain things that will often keep us from taking risks, especially when it comes to people. Here's the first thing, okay? uh, One of the biggest things that will be an obstacle to us ever risking again in relationships, number one, fear. It said that they were afraid. They were fearful. They were fearful for their lives. They were fearful for others. In your life, it may be different, and it's not that you're fearful for your life. For you, it might be the fear of rejection. Maybe you've been rejected in the past or you're fearful that if you reach out to somebody, they might reject you or whatever. And so fear can often prevent us from taking risks in relationships, you know. Or maybe it's a fear that you won't go deeper in a relationship because uh, can I really open up to them? If I do and I let them in, then I'm really going to end up potentially being rejected or hurt. When it comes to taking a risk on someone who has hurt you in the past and actually loving them, We're probably most afraid of this, and let's just be honest, of being hurt what? Again. I've been down that road. I don't want to go down that road again. Never go down that road again, you know. Or maybe you've been hurt by an ex or by a business partner or an employer or a sibling or I don't know. This That's between you and the Lord. We, but, but the bottom line is, is, again, as I said a moment ago, there's not a one of us that's here today that has not been hurt in some kind of way by another person. Or someone has hurt us or they've said something that hurt us and maybe we've carried that all of our lives and we've carried that pain and maybe, you know, and, and, and maybe that fear of, of entering into deeper relationships is just right there for you because of what has happened in your past. And I just want to get real with you for a few minutes, okay? I want to just be very transparent with you. A few years ago, I seriously got burned by one of my closest friends. I mean, I got burned. And I never saw it coming, and uh, he certainly was not the only one at fault. I also was at fault in some things as well, but the relationship kind of just took a downward turn, and, and I didn't know what to do about it. I tried to make things right. At that time, it wasn't happening, okay? And, and, and so that started happening in my life to where this, this person that was one of the closest friends that I'd ever had burned me. Right? Have you ever experienced that? That hurts, man. It hurts deeply. Sometimes you don't know how to get past that. I had also come out of uh, some disappointments that I had had with some spiritual mentors that were supposed to be in my life who had also failed, and, and they didn't necessarily uh, b- burn me specifically in the sense that it was directed towards me. They just let me down. Right? where there was some, some immorality that they had in their life and let me down and hurt a lot of other people in one of the churches that I had served in at one time. And so there was disappointment with people there that I also had kind of carried some baggage into planting EBC and dealing with some of that. And then I got hurt, you know, by, by my close friend there. And so there, there was a little bit of this hardness of heart that started coming on me. I'm just being honest with you, okay? And then to top it all off, My closest friend died of cancer, my brother-in-law, Dan. And I remember at that point, I was just kind of spiraling into a depression. 
And this isn't about, about me, all right? That was so much more in Linda and her kid's life and there. But that was something, that was the loss in my life at that time was he was my best friend. He was the one that we vacationed together in. And so at that point, as I started spiraling into this depression, one of the things that started happening to my heart was it was getting harder and harder. And I was saying this. At the same time, and this is, this is kind of, I don't think it's funny. I think it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. But even preaching at the time about how important relationships are in your life, can I tell you what I didn't want in my life ever again at that point was another friendship and a relationship. Like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't, I don't want to risk the pain that comes with potential loss. I don't want to risk, you know, you, you can't feel loss if you never had it to begin with, right? And so I'm like, I'm done. I'm just going to. So I started isolating more and more, and that can be more my personality. Started isolating more from, from people. Started isolating. I was close, still close to my family, but started isolating from others. And I got to tell you, it's kind of hard to be a pastor and do that. But that started happening. There was a point where I needed a break. I needed to take, and I took some time off. I took a sabbatical where I needed the friend of sinners and the God of this universe to come and to do a divine work in my heart again. And that's what I needed. And I needed a touch from God. I needed for him to to reach in and to to begin to bring healing to my cynical heart because that's what started happening was there was a cynicism that was attached to my heart. And, and, you know, and I want you to think about Saul. Some of you can relate to what I'm talking about because you've been hurt in the past or maybe you have experienced loss in some kind of way and cynicism can begin to creep in and you don't want to risk losing again or you don't want to risk the possibility of, 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 of what might happen in a friendship if you actually reach out to somebody again and come alongside a Saul like Barnabas did. But think about Saul. He deeply hurt people. He had thrown men and women indiscriminately into prison. He'd probably broken up families. They, many of them were most likely dealing with hard feelings and, and, and difficulties there. And, you know, and when he showed up in Jerusalem, no doubt a rumor had begun to circulate that this man's life had been changed. And it seemed like the wise thing would have been to disregard the rumors and withdraw and to say, I will never risk loving a person like Saul again. Taking a risk on one man potentially just didn't seem worth it. Sometimes, and I'm just saying, fear can sometimes sound like wisdom, where we would say, do you really think that's a good idea? And sometimes there's wisdom attached to that, but sometimes, and this is where we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to come in and show us, is that wisdom or is that being driven by fear? Is there wisdom there or is it being driven by fear? Do you really, we might say, do you think that's a good idea? Or did you really hear from God about that? Is it fear driven or is it wisdom driven? Okay, and the Holy Spirit will teach us. He wants to be our teacher in these kinds of things. Or if you step out, well, what if you fail? But church, God doesn't rationalize our fear. He doesn't rationalize our fear. What God calls us to is to walk with him in faith. All right, not in fear, but to walk with him in faith. That's why we find scriptures why, where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or where you'd find God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Or, you know, perfect love casts out all what? Fear. You see, where God wants us to walk with him in faith, even in the midst of relationships, and trusting that God is the one who's ultimately in control. 
So fear is something that prevents us from taking risks. And other people, here's something else, doubt. Some of us, we may just doubt that a person could ever even be changed. Could I mean, wouldn't you have been a person, let's just be honest, who would have potentially doubted whether someone like Saul could actually experience life transformation? But what does that story of Saul show us today? Why is it there? It shows us that there is no one beyond the reach of Jesus Christ, right? There's no one that God can't touch and change. That's what we find in Saul. That's why Jesus sought him out and did it. It's a miracle of transformation to show us that there's not anybody that God can't bring about grace and forgiveness in their life. We learn this, okay? So here's another thing that, we, that might prevent us from taking risk is these two things, this fear and this doubt, begin to develop in our lives, and here's what comes next. Are you ready? It's cynicism. And I mentioned this word a minute ago. And I know a little something about cynicism because I battle with cynicism at certain times in my life. And the Spirit of God has to convict me about that. And I have to repent. And I have to ask God to give me more of a heart like His, like we sang earlier. Because I can be cynical. I can get very cynical of people. And, and you know, but a cynical heart, and I know something about it because I struggle with it, okay? A cynical heart leads a person to an arrogant outlook in life that makes very broad generalizations about everyone and every situation out there. And here's what a cynical heart says whenever it revolves around people. A cynical heart says this, people never change. People never change. People can't ever be trusted. And here's what a cynical heart says, risks are never worth it. That's what a cynical heart starts saying. And again, I know something about this because I battled with this in my own life. And, and I started thinking about whenever I battle with cynicism, whenever I've battled with it in the past, whenever I was kind of in that place of depression, dealing with some of my own hurt and some of that own stuff and kind of just really battling with, uh, with a cynical heart at that time in my life, at that period in my life where I needed a, the hand of God to bring healing to me, I started thinking about this. What was the root of that cynical heart? And the root of my cynical heart, and I think this is probably true for many of us, the root of a cynical heart is this. There is a root of bitterness that is still there in our hearts. It's there. It has to be dealt with. Okay, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we don't have wisdom in other relationships, okay? But I'm talking about whenever there's a difference in being driven by the Spirit of God and and discernment of the Holy Spirit of God and our decisions about people being driven by fear. There's a big difference there. Okay, there's a big difference. And and for me, there was a root of bitterness that God began to expose in my heart that I had not dealt with. There was a root of bitterness that I'd still carried in my heart that he was wanting to deal with me about. And, and you know, and what I recognized at that particular point is I took some time to reflect upon my own heart. And what was happening there was this root of bitterness that I was holding on to because I could control it, right? I was holding on to this and just just gripping tightly to that. I did not want to release that into the hands of God. Do you know what I was doing? I was hurting myself more than I was hurting anybody else. Any person that I had had that root of bitterness towards, they weren't feeling that. I was feeling that. It was devastating me. It was, it was hurting relationships around me. It was hurting my marriage. It was hurting my relationship with my kids. You know why? Because my heart was growing increasingly harder as the days would go by. 
And I was like, I'm not letting anybody in. You ever been there? I'm not letting anyone in. And I just have to tell you, God has to do a supernatural work and can do a supernatural work, praise God, in our lives. Whereas it doesn't seem possible, it doesn't, it just, you're saying, it's not possible, Bart, it's not possible for God to do that work in my life. I'm telling you it is. And I'm telling you, you can look in the life of a man named Saul and see that God can do that. You can look in Barnabas, you can look in these believers, and you need to know that the same power that transformed these men and women back in that day, it is the same power that is alive today and well and is transforming the hearts of people today. Do you believe it or not? I mean, that's what you have to decide. Do I believe that it's the same power? Cynicism can take fear and doubt and it galvanizes the heart and we use it as an armor and we say we will never let anybody else ever in, ever again. Now, I just want to tell you this, that, that sometimes you say, well, man, I'm just trying to be wise or I'm just being a realist. Or I, well, you need to determine whether you're being a realist or whether you're being a cynic. And the Holy Spirit will show you the way that he did me. That's not my job to show you. The Holy Spirit will speak into your life, whether you're being cynical or whether you are, are just, you know, being realistic and you're being discreet. We're not, saying, we're not saying that you should not use wisdom in your relationships. I'm not saying that today. That's why, the, that's why Christ would tell us we want to be as shrewd or as wise as a serpent, he says, but what, as harmless as a dove. That's Holy Spirit discernment there. You want to be sure that the risks that you're taking in relationships or lack of risks you're taking are not driven by fear, but instead they're driven by Holy Spirit discernment. And that is where he is our teacher, okay? And so I want to just be really clear that that's, that's one of the things. But, I, I, but you need to understand that you and I, we will never have the relationships that God has created us to have if we allow our hearts to be dominated by cynicism and fear and doubt and those kinds of things. You know, cynicism hardens our heart. Think about this. It hardens our heart to true relationships that God wants us to experience in our life today. And it makes future potential friends pay for sins of those who are in our past. And there's not wisdom in that. Because God has something more for you and for me when it comes to relationships. He wants there to be the depth of what's called koinonia fellowship, where we're doing life together, where we do make ourselves vulnerable to one another, where we're living together in that kind of sense, okay? But if you have a cynical heart, you will miss out on what God has for you, not only now, but also in the future. God wants to do that kind of work in your life. And so the cynical, the fearful heart says, well, they might hurt you. The doubtful heart says, you know, it says this, that they probably could never change. And the cynical heart says they will hurt you and they will never change, okay? There's a difference there. And, and the disciples were feeling, must have been feeling all of these kinds of things, uh, which is why they were steering clear of Saul. His conversion, it could have been an act, right? It could have been this kind of act to trick them, or it could have been a temporary change. He could have been master manipulator or there's another possibility here's what it is maybe god really can't change them 
Maybe God really could do a work in his life. And that's what Barnabas decided to take a risk on. I don't know why Barnabas went looking for Saul, but he did. Perhaps they knew each other. We don't know that for sure. Barnabas may have heard something other disciples around had not, and he wanted to be sure to convey that. He checked into this, but we know this. We do know this about Barnabas. Do you know what his name literally means? Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. He is an encourager. He is one that comes alongside people. He's one that that seeks to believe the best in folks rather than always the worst in people, right? You know, and and really, this really convicts me because I'm being honest. I can I can flip that around in my life if I'm if I'm not really intentional about asking the Holy Spirit to to give me the right mindset about folks and about people. Why? Because I've been burned. So I really have to ask the Holy Spirit on a regular basis to give me his discernment. Barnabas was most likely just being Barnabas. And he was most likely very close to Christ. And and most likely had experienced, and we do know experienced, the grace and the forgiveness of Christ in his life. And was most likely thinking, if God can forgive me, he can also forgive Saul. And if I've been given a shot, Saul needs to be given a shot. You know, and so this is most likely what was happening here, and he experienced this, and what he found as he reached out to Saul, it changed everything. So just let me give you some takeaways, okay? Takeaways of this. How do we be a Barnabas to others? Here's just very quickly what we can take away from this passage, this powerful passage. Here's the thing we first we have to do. We have to be willing to take time to listen to people. We have to be willing to, to really listen to people, you know, um, which transcends this. And, and this is where the discernment, we ask the discernment of God to come in as we listen. We ask God for that. He says he will be our teacher. He's our counselor as the Holy Spirit as we live a life that's indwelled with him. He's our teacher and we ask for his discernment and we obey him as he leads us, you know, in those particular instances. And so that discernment of God transcends the cynicism in our life. Someone once said this, that wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred talking, okay? And then someone else said this, Stephen Covey said this, most people do not listen with the intent to understand, they listen with the intent to reply, right? And so if you ever done that, I do that, where I'm listening to somebody, but I'm not hearing really what they're saying. I'm thinking more. Maybe they say one thing, and then I'm thinking, what's going to be now? Let me tell you what I'm about to say next, right? And that's what you're kind of thinking like. But, but instead, these are some words that really can change the life of a relationship, and here's what it is. Tell me your story. And I imagine that, that Barnabas came to Saul, and he just said, I want to know your story. What's the deal, man? Tell me what happened. Tell me your story. You know, and he may have heard it on a number of different occasions. And it's kind of like this. You, then you begin to get the story. When you begin to get the story, you kind of start understanding some of the angles that maybe were going in in that particular person's life. And Saul probably began to share that story. It's like this. It's like you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you know, and you're like, what a jerk, right? They didn't turn their blinker on. They cut me off. And you're mad about that. And you're carrying that. And you don't have that, you know. And then you, you know, you're just, you're angry. And then you're like, wait a minute, that was Pastor Bart. You know, or whatever, okay? And you're angry. Maybe that was Bart with Luke. I don't know. And uh, Pastor Bart looks like he's cussing. What is he doing? You know, he's struggling. And you should pray for me at that moment, okay? And so, but maybe that's the case. But, but you know what happens? We, we most likely 
most likely will, you know, we're a lot of times harder on other people. Now, what can happen is maybe later on that day, if we're honest, or maybe later on that week, maybe we forgot to turn our blinker on. Maybe we accidentally cut somebody off. But, but you know, and then you look back in your rearview mirror and you see them shaking their fist at you and making hand gestures and things like that. And you're like, man, that person needs to give me a break. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I, I was distracted. You kind of know your whole story, right? Or, you know, and you're, we're a lot more more eager to forgive ourselves and give ourselves grace than we often are when giving grace to other people around us, right? You know, and so we're like, well, I, I just didn't see them or whatever. That, and so you're like, man, give me a break, dude. You know the whole story. So a lot of times we just need to listen to people. And it may not change things in the relationship, but what it may do is it may give you maybe a new level of compassion whenever you begin to understand some of what has, has brought about and shaped that person the way that they are. doesn't mean that the relationship's always going to be perfect. doesn't mean that you have to restore the relationship. It just means that you've listened and you understand. You understand. You may not even agree. But you understand. So you take time to listen. Here's another thing that we do, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, is we want to verify the facts. And we want to verify those facts and ask God for discernment. God, show me what's right. And I imagine Saul probably, you know, had a story and Barnabas verified the facts. And maybe he asked Saul several times to share his story. Maybe he wanted to be sure that the story lined up. Maybe he checked it out with other people. But he investigated and he verified the facts I want to be really clear about something. Being willing to take risk on people does not mean that we incautiously or naively open ourselves up to abuse. That is not what I'm saying today, okay? We're not just saying just go and you can just be abused by whoever, or you're not loving if you're not going to go get abused by people. That's not what I'm saying today, okay? What I'm saying here is we've got to discern for ourselves whether God is truly at work in their lives. Is God doing a work? And, and, and let me just hit on this one particular thing. And I don't have time to get into the deeper issues of forgiveness. We'll do that in another week. But let me just say this, that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There's a big difference. Forgiveness is something that as much as we want to try to get around maybe as a believer and say, I'm not doing that. I'm never forgiving or whatever. I just have to tell you, and you might not like this, but here is the bottom line, and I have struggled with it. It is not an option. Forgiveness is mandated. If you are a Christ follower, he has commanded us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. I don't like that. I didn't say reconciliation is mandated. But forgiveness is. We are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. It doesn't always mean that there's reconciliation because there's all kinds of of things that can happen in that relationship. For some of you, it's just you need to forgive and release this root of bitterness that's had its hold on you for all of these years and it's impacting your relationships now, impacting your relationships in the future because you're holding on to this and what God is saying is, I want you free from that. I don't want you dominated by that anymore. I have come to set you free of this because I have more for you moving forward. 
I can just tell you this, and I praise God for this, that the broken friendship that I told you about, that God brought, that, that hurt me so much, God worked in a powerful way and through a lot of prayer and a lot of forgiveness and, and, and talking and taking some risks, that friendship has been reconciled. But I know that that's not always possible. Sometimes the person you're bitter and can grow bitter at, maybe they're unwilling to reconcile with you. Maybe it, there doesn't need to be reconciliation. Maybe they've been abusive to you or whatever, or maybe they're not even around anymore. What I'm saying is that here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you releasing that person into God's hands, and it's off of you, and you're saying, I release them of their debt. And you know what that does for you? It sets you free. It sets you free. That's what God desires for you. He wants the best for you, the abundant life for you. But if you are holding on to bitterness in your heart, you will miss what he has for you. God has so much for us in his love. Here's the final thing is that we see, and this is going to really encompass all of it. In doing this, we have to just trust in God's power in this process. This this whole idea of forgiveness and and releasing bitterness, can I just tell you, this is not a man-made thing. This is a supernatural work of God that has to happen in our lives. And, and taking risk on people, we have to trust in God's power. You say, I don't, I don't want to let them off the hook or whatever. Maybe you're holding on to that. And here's what you're doing. You're taking them off of your hook and you're putting them on God's hook. Okay? They're not on your hook anymore. And you're releasing yourself of that and you're saying, I, I, I'm releasing them from this. And you know what you do? You release yourself. You're free. You know what? Have you ever had a Barnabas in your life come alongside you, be an encourager, pull for you when maybe others walked out on you? Maybe you never have. I know I've had a few Barnabases in my life, but here is something that I do know for a fact as we close this out right now. There are a lot of people out there, and even right here, and you know what they need? They need a Barnabas. They need some of us to come alongside them and to take risk and love them and, and risk and step out. They need a Barnabas. And the question is, will we take those risks? I want to invite you just to pray with me, okay? Will we take those risks? We'll talk more about forgiveness another day. Maybe next week. If you've been hurt... And that most likely is just about all of you. I'm not saying, and God's not saying, just get over it. We're not saying that. But God does want to bring healing in your life to those hurts from your past. God's not saying don't learn from those things too and just walk, you know, kind of blindly into things. There's discernment that you can take from the things that you've experienced and you ask God to teach you, to be your teacher. But you don't want to live a life driven by fear. That's not what God has for you. He has so much more. When you live a life driven by fear in relationships and you've got a guarded heart, people around you can't get all of what they need from you. You're not getting what you need from them as well because you've built a wall to keep them out.
I'm so thankful that Jesus is willing to take a risk on me. We need Barnabas in our lives tonight. If you stay stuck in your bitterness and you never become a Barnabas to others, you stay stuck in your past hurts, I just, I just know the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting those that are in your life right now that need you, all of you. You're hurting people that God wants to put in your life for you to be a Barnabas too. And we need a supernatural touch and healing from God. Maybe today God's speaking to you and you would just begin to work through that with Him today. You're just entrusting maybe that person that you've been bitter towards into God's care you're trusting in his justice that he is the one that sets the record straight you just begin to release them of their debt even if they haven't asked you release them of their debt in the same manner that Christ has set you free from the debt that you and I that we could never repay God wants you free Lord would you just continue doing a work in Lord, make us more like you, Jesus. I think of you. You hung on the cross, and those that have done these terrible things to you, you looked upon them, Lord, and you said, forgive them. We need more of you and less of us, more of your spirit, less of our flesh. Lord, would you minister to people today? Would you give them your wisdom and discernment in their relationships? Lord, would you show us how to be a Barnabas? Give us eyes to see the people around us the way that you do. It's in the powerful name of our loving Savior.